afternoon. Uh, there are no uh, announcements from consistory today, so we can just hop right into our worship service. And what a privilege it is to be able to worship our awesome God together again today. Uh, please stand if you're able to for our call to worship. Our call to worship for this afternoon is taken from the psalm that we're about to sing together. Uh, psalm 95, uh, verses, one and, uh, verses 1 through 3. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. As we come to worship this great king above all gods, we come with the utmost humility. And so we come confessing our dependence. Congregation, where does our help come from? Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. And this great Lord and God greets us with his blessing from scripture. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's sing uh, the words of Psalm 95, stanzas 1 and 3. turn at the beginning of our worship service to uh, the law of God as found in Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments. And this reminds us of the holy nature of our God and our need for a Savior to make us holy as he is holy. The Ten Commandments from Exodus 20. God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything in heaven above or in the earth beneath and the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, 
visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you, your son or daughter, male servant or female servant, your livestock or the sojourner within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, his female servant, his ox or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. So far, our reading of God's law. Now let's sing together about God's forgiveness of our sins and uh, God's reconciliation between us and him and us and one another. Uh, with the words of hymn 65, stanza 2. come before our Father in prayer. Almighty, heavenly God and Father, King of kings and Lord of lords, what an awesome God you are. Lord, your word is so pure and so perfect, and your law is so pure and so perfect. But Lord, as we read over your law, especially as we meditate on your good and pure commandments, Lord, we should be and we are grieved by our transgressions. The closer we look, the more we let the sword of your word pierce between the bones and the marrow of our soul, the more we are overwhelmed by our sins. Lord, each day this week, we have completely fallen short of your perfect commandments. We have not loved you as we ought to have. We haven't been devoted to you as we ought to have. We also haven't loved our neighbors as ourselves. Lord, we've been consumed instead with a love for ourselves. Lord, we thank you that you are a God who calls out and identifies our sins. And Lord, you call them out and identify them uh, through your word, but then you never leave us in them. Instead, as we just sang together, we thank and we praise you 
that you've looked at each of these sins and you've blotted each one out. You've covered them with the sun, or the blood of your precious Son, Jesus Christ. And you gave us peace. Peace with God, peace with one another, breaking down the dividing wall of hostility. And Lord, we are just overwhelmed with praise for you. What a gracious God you are. What an awesome God. We're so thankful that you embrace us with your love that surpasses understanding. And we thank you that you've given us a dwelling place with you once again, a dwelling place with your people once again as well. As we turn to your word, we ask that you'll instruct us and that you'll comfort us, but also challenge us and transform us by your word and by your spirit. We ask that more and more you might return us uh, to how we were created to be, looking a lot like you, our awesome God and Father. We pray these things in Jesus' name alone. Amen. If you've been with us for the last couple of weeks, then you know we've been working through the book of Philemon. Um, and so this time we'll read through uh, the whole book again as our reading uh, for the last time as we wrap up the book this week. And just as a quick recap, in case you forget or in case you weren't here, uh, this letter has three main characters. Uh, there's the Apostle Paul, who's writing the letter. There's Philemon, the one he's writing it to. And then there's Onesimus. So Paul is writing to his friend Philemon. Philemon is a wealthy man, and he owned a slave. But this slave stole from him and ran away. And somehow, by God's providence, this slave ran into Paul in Rome. He came to believe the gospel, and now he's going back to be reconciled to Philemon. And so Paul sends him back, and he sends him with this letter in hand. Let's read this little book once again. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and the faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So, if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it 
to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So far, our reading. Now let's sing together in response once again from Psalm 65 about the awesome deeds uh, that the Lord has worked to save us and reconcile us to him and to one another. Psalm 65, stanza 3. Let's read our text once again. We'll read verses 17 to the end of the letter. 17 to 25. So, if you consider me your partner, receive him, that's Anisimus, as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it, to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow workers, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. If you have a Bible with you, I'd recommend keeping open our text, if you're able to, as we work through it together. Brothers and sisters, Imagine for a moment you just won a big contest. For one week, you get to be treated like someone that you're not. For one week, you get to be treated like a VIP. Maybe you get to be treated like royalty for a week. And you're given beautiful, expensive designer clothes. You get to live in a castle. 
have chefs make you incredible food, and people wait on you hand and foot. Or maybe you get to be treated like a celebrity or a famous athlete for a week, uh, being driven around in a fancy sports car, getting into the most exclusive restaurants, being flown around wherever you want to go in a private jet, and having people clamoring for your autograph wherever you go. It would be pretty amazing to win such a contest, to be able to have the opportunity to be treated as a VIP, treating, uh, treated as something that we're not. We're not celebrities. I don't think any of us have, and I really doubt any of us will ever actually get to see what that feels like. But maybe we've had a somewhat much smaller scale experience of being treated kind of like someone we're not. Uh, maybe you've had it at some point in your life. You went to someone's house and you stayed with them and you felt like you were treated a lot better than you feel like you should have. They welcomed you right in. They treated you like a dear friend or like family, even though they hardly knew you. It's a pretty wonderful thing. Well, in our text today, as we wrap up the book of Philemon, we'll see that Paul is writing about something like this. As he ascends back in Esimus, he's asking that Philemon will receive him, in a sense, as something he's not. And we'll see that in our text. We'll see that under the theme, a gracious exchange that Paul proposes. We'll see this in two parts. First, we'll see Paul's lofty goal, his lofty goal for this letter. And then secondly, we'll see Paul's gracious offer. First of all, Paul's lofty goal. We need to remember every time we read this letter, we are jumping in to a personal situation and a very uncomfortable situation. Onesimus has just shown up on Philemon's doorstep, and he's stolen from Philemon. He's embarrassed and offended his master. And Onesimus has just shown up at his door with this letter. And you know how certain people are said to, in life, to look at things with rose-colored glasses? Maybe you've heard that expression. Some people are always optimistic. They're always looking on the bright side of life. Well, here in this letter that Philemon opens up, we can see a little picture of how Paul looks at life. And we see that Paul looks at life through gospel colored glasses, in a sense. Because in this awkward, tense situation, this conflict, Paul sees a big opportunity for the gospel to be shared, to be lived out. Uh, lived out in a way that makes the gospel come alive. And we see in verse 20, what Paul sees in this situation through his gospel-colored glasses, so to speak. He says, summing up everything that's gone before in this epistle, he said, yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. So speaking here into this conflict, Paul sees an opportunity for benefit, for profit, for joy, for enjoyment. Specifically, joy and profit for the, in the Lord, for the cause of Christ, as they live out the gospel in a powerful way. And so Paul sees, and he hopes, and he, he prays, and he knows that somehow this situation will be very powerful to bringing God glory and bringing increased love and unity between God's people. Then Paul goes on, explaining that he sees here an opportunity for Philemon to refresh my heart in Christ. We need to remember the imagery here. Maybe you were here two weeks ago. Do you remember that beautiful word, refresh? First of all, Paul is talking about his heart, his deepest heart, and about it being quenched. 
He's imagining imagining a kind of situation where you come home and you're absolutely parched. And you grab an ice-cold drink with water droplets forming on the side. And you drink it down until you're satisfied. Paul, he sees here a chance for uh, refreshment, Christ-like rest and refreshment to be lived out. Just as Christ came and gave our tired and thirsty and beaten and broken souls a drink, so to speak. Paul wants refreshment here for his soul. And that we need to understand that this has two different meanings. Paul is talking about two different things here. First of all, Paul is saying something quite remarkable. That he himself, 2,000 kilometers removed from this situation, that his very heart will be refreshed by how this situation plays out. Paul is committed to seeing these believers reconciled, not just to God, that's what his ministry was, reconciling sinners and God. But he's also committed to seeing these two people reconciled to one another. 2,000 kilometers away from where he's at. That, just hearing of it, will refresh, will quench his heart. I wonder if we have that same kind of commitment to seeing people reconciled to God, but reconciled to one another as well. So often we can just rather stay out of uh, the situation. We don't want to get our hands dirty, so to speak. But Paul here, he sees that this is the gospel being lived out. It's a chance for people to be strengthened, to glorify God in being reconciled and forgiving one another and growing in their bond in Christ. And so Paul himself says that he will be deeply refreshed. And it's crazy that the great apostle Paul wrote nearly half the books in the New Testament, would care about this situation at all, isn't it? But yet, Paul is clearly talking about something else as well. There's a second way to take this. Paul is saying here that uh, Philemon has an opportunity to refresh his heart. And we just read the whole book together. What did Paul just say about his heart, his deepest heart? We read in verse 12, Paul said, I am sending Onesimus back to you, sending you my very heart. Paul's heart inside of his chest will be refreshed by living out the gospel. But more than that, he says Onesimus is his heart. And here he sees a chance for Onesimus to be refreshed. And actually, throughout this book, we haven't spoken too much about Onesimus yet. But I'll just stop for a minute and think about all that we've learned about from Onesimus's point of view. Onesimus was this slave unhappy living in Philemon's house, though Philemon, by all accounts, was a great master. While he was there, he likely heard the gospel and heard singing. We read that Philemon hosted the church in his house. And yet, hearing the gospel, he just didn't care. He thought it was foolish and phony, and he wanted nothing to do with it. One day, he took off for Rome so he could finally be free, helping himself to Philemon's stuff, on the way out. And there, picture yourself a runaway slave living in Rome. There he was a nobody. And he likely found out that the money didn't last very long. And life on the streets of Rome back then would be hard and cold and uncomfortable. That's probably what he found out. That life on the streets wasn't all he had thought it would be. Like they had no friends and no one to care for him. But there, by God's grace, he ran into Paul And Paul explained the gospel to him. He explained that he wasn't without a friend, but actually he had the greatest friend. 
That he had Jesus Christ. That while it seemed like no one cared about him, God cared about him incredibly deeply. And he had sent his son to save him. And that as he was running away from his master, Jesus Christ was pursuing him and wrapping his arms around him. Jesus had cared enough for him to lay down his life for him. And so in Esamus, he found joy. He found the freedom he wanted. He found it in the gospel that he ignored before at home. And so he stayed with Paul in prison, and there he was truly free. He stayed there for quite a while, and then eventually, Onesimus and Paul, they had some, some difficult, some awkward conversations. And Onesimus came to probably the most difficult realization of his life. He had to leave his new friend, the Apostle Paul, and he had to go back. He needed to be reconciled, not just to God. Praise God that he was. Now he needed to be reconciled to someone else as well. And so, he went. And that is a a huge thing for us to focus on. Going back would have been a huge decision and a huge, a huge uh, burden for him. Onesimus had to travel over 2,000 kilometers back to his old master, and this would have been a long, a physically exhausting, likely a potentially dangerous journey. And you have to imagine that the whole time, every step that he took, Onesimus was dreading the destination. Have you ever had it where you had a big meeting coming up, or maybe even a small meeting coming up, and you just weren't sure exactly how it was going to go? And so during the day, you could barely focus on your work. At night, you could barely get to sleep. You're so anxious, even about potentially a relatively small meeting. Well, if you have, imagine how Onesimus must have felt every night of this journey back to his old master. I wouldn't be surprised if Onesimus struggled to sleep any night with the anxiety of what was to come, this this conflict, this situation that was coming up. There was potential that when he finally finished this long journey, that he would be pushed down to the ground and branded with a hot iron as a fugitive for the rest of his life. There was potential that he would be thrown in jail till somehow he paid back every penny he had stolen. There was a chance that he would be put on death's row and executed. And you have to imagine that was weighing on his mind on the way back, but he was convinced for Christ's sake this was the right thing to do. He needed to be reconciled. He remembered the teaching of Christ that we can read, for example, in Matthew 5, where Jesus says that if you're at the temple offering your gifts to God and you remember you've sinned against your brother, leave your gift. Go and be reconciled first. Now, Denisimus, by God's grace, he he took that seriously. And he was going to go back no matter what the cost. And so he went back. And he comes back with this letter, and now Paul says to Philemon, now that Onesimus, my very heart, is here, probably a nervous wreck. Maybe in the other room while Philemon uh, reads this message, maybe pacing around nervously. Paul says, please, Philemon, refresh my heart in Christ. Refresh Onesimus in Christ. This weary, frightened, runaway slave, this new Christian, refresh his soul. Show him the gospel of Jesus Christ in a way that will melt his heart and make his fears wash away. Lavish grace upon him and bless him with undeserved, costly forgiveness. And show him deep, almost incomprehensible love and forgiveness that gives rest to his soul. 
just like Christ did for you and me. Paul says, refresh my heart. Refresh Onesimus in Christ. And I hope you can at least get a small idea, begin to imagine the relief Onesimus would have felt when a Philemon doesn't rebuke him, when he doesn't lash out on him, but rather receives him, like Paul said last week, as an eternal brother. Imagine Onesimus' great thanks to Philemon, and most of all, think about Onesimus' great thanks and praise to God. The God who had taught Philemon to love and forgive like this. The God who, in fact, had done it first and better in his son, Jesus Christ. This is the benefit and the refreshment uh, for himself and his very heart, Onesimus, that Paul sees. And even more than that, he sees this beautiful but seemingly lofty, maybe too uh, high up uh, of a calling for Philemon. But actually, we read the text and we see that Paul sees even greater potential than that. Look at what Paul says next in our text, in verse 21. Paul knows Philemon, and he knows his heart for Christ. And he sees an opportunity for and requests that Philemon would do all of these things. And yet he says in verse 21, Confident of your obedience, knowing that you will do even more than I say. That is how Paul is writing to him. And do you just see how much kindness and humility there is in these words? This is Paul, the great apostle, the one who says he's an old man for Christ, in chains for the gospel. He had lived with Christ for a long time. He was incredibly wise, of course. But this great apostle says to his friend that he knows Philemon will take this situation and he will handle it even better than he has thought of. Even better than he said. Paul has so much confidence in Philemon, his understanding of the gospel. He knows Philemon won't just do the bare minimum. He will do the maximum. He'll do even more than Paul has written, even more than Paul himself has thought of. And that's such a good word for us, isn't it? So often it's really, really easy to just go to the minimum of obedience. We want to do the bare minimum. Oh, I have to spend that much time at church? Okay, I'll spend as little time as I can. Oh, I have to give that much to church? Okay, I'll give that much and not a penny more if I can help it. Oh, that's what the commandment says? Okay, I will try and keep that in my day-to-day life. But here we just see something radically different. Paul knows Philemon's grip by the gospel, and he knows he's laying out a huge, lofty vision, and he's confident that Philemon's going to far surpass it. Do even more than he asked. Live out the gospel in an incredible way that's going to shock people. How can Philemon go above and beyond to amaze and refresh Anesimus and Paul and the watching church, not to mention the watching world? Well, we heard two weeks ago, first and foremost, by forgiving Anesimus. But then we heard, that's just the bare minimum. Last week we heard he's going beyond that. He won't just forgive Anesimus and tolerate him and put up with him. Last week we heard Paul's call to receive him as what he is, a new creation, a beloved brother in Christ for eternity. But now finally Paul says towards the end of his letter something even more breathtaking and shocking than anything that came before. Paul calls on Philemon to receive Onesimus not just as what he is now, the new creation, but he seems to call on Philemon to receive Onesimus as something that he's not. In a sense, Paul calls Philemon to give Onesimus the VIP or the royal treatment he simply doesn't deserve. 
So we've seen Paul's lofty goal. And in our final point, we'll see Paul's gracious offer. Paul says in verse 17 something that should really astound us. He says, Philemon, if you consider me your partner, and, and you do, if you consider me your partner, receive Onesimus as you would receive me. Paul is saying, receive this slave. Receive this criminal. Receive this fugitive, runaway slave and thief who caused tension and hurt and pain and loss. Receive him, that is, accept or welcome him as you would welcome me. Let that really sink in what that means. This is the Apostle Paul. He's a respected church leader, to say the least. He's a hero of the faith, though I'm sure in his humility he would reject the title, but he truly was. This is Paul. How would you receive this man? How would anyone receive him? With great honor and respect. But not to mention, how would Philemon receive him? Not just as a great apostle worthy of the utmost respect, but also as a dear friend, a fellow co-worker for Christ, a beloved brother in the faith, the one who is responsible for Philemon's conversion and seemingly close friends with a deep, affectionate friendship. How would, picture it in your mind, how would Philemon welcome Paul if Paul showed up at his door from prison, having been released? You have to imagine there would be great excitement and joy. There would be hugs and tears and prayers of thanksgiving to God. They would, they would kill the fattened lamb, so to speak. And Paul says, Philemon, receive Onesimus, as you would receive me. And Paul, of course, he knew there would be barriers to this. This is a crazy, a crazy ask. Onesimus had hurt Philemon deeply. And so Paul goes on to say even more. He says, if he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. There are a few things to note here. Paul says, if he has wronged you, and if he owes you anything. And it's important to realize this is probably just a figure of speech, so to say. Imagine for a second, to understand this, um, a little kid who's really excited. They just found out that they're going to go to a movie or, or to uh, a game that they've been super excited about. And this surprise was sp sprung on them. And so they run up to you, and they're trying to tell you all about it. And, and as they're rambling on, well, then you look over at the clock and you say, little buddy, I am so happy for you. I am so excited for you and I want to hear all about it. But you'd better go if you don't want to be late. If is what you say, but is there really an if? Not at all. You know he doesn't want to be late. He doesn't want to uh, miss it. In this kind of a sense, uh, if basically means since. And so just as Paul just said, if you consider me a partner, and it basically means since you consider me a partner, there's no question in Paul's mind. Now, Paul says, if he has wronged you, if he owes you anything, but Paul is really probably saying, I know he was wronged you. I've talked with Anisimus. I know how much he hurt you. I know how much he owes you. And Paul says, if he owes you anything, if he's wronged you at all, charge it to my account. 
And this would include financial damage, but it actually goes far beyond that. Paul says, any way he has wronged you at all, or anything he owes you, charge it to me. And I wonder if you see exactly what Paul is doing here. Because it's absolutely incredible. At this time in Roman society, it would have been unheard of to advocate for anyone in this way, much less a slave. It was unheard of in our society too. The Apostle Paul is saying this lowly slave and criminal, welcome him as you would welcome me. And as for me, treat me like him. Whatever he owes you, any guilt of his, put it on my account. I pay it back. I swear I will. This is legally binding. Paul is writing this with his own hand. He says, charge it to me. It's mine now, not his. Remove it from him. I'll take care of it. And this is absolutely groundbreaking and counter-cultural. It's an amazing act of grace. In fact, it's supernatural. It's divine. What grace for Anisimus, getting the royal treatment far beyond what he deserves and instead getting what Paul deserves. And I hope you can see so clearly this is just a glimmer, just a faint reflection of what Christ himself has done for you. What he's done for me. What he's done for Anisimus and Paul and Philemon as well. Jesus Christ has gone before the Father and said, for this one, for that one, Father, receive them as you would receive me. Clothe them in my spotless righteousness. Impute to them my status, my perfect obedience, my perfection, my honor. Give it all to them. And Lord, if anything stands in the way of you doing that for them, well, and of course, a whole lot does. If anything stands in the way, Lord, give that all to me. Jesus says, take it all, Lord, and charge that to my account. I swear I will pay it. Every debt, every wrongdoing, every sin, every shortcoming, every failing, every day, Jesus says, I will pay it. And indeed, Jesus Christ already has paid it. All of our sin, all of our guilt, paid in full, thrown into the depths of the sea. As we read in Colossians, which you might remember is a letter that Paul sent alongside this one to the church in Colossae. Paul writes there in Colossians 2 verse 13, You who were dead in your trespasses, God made alive together with Christ having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This record of debt he had against you and me, he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Christ bore in body and soul the full payment for our sins, and he gave us his righteousness instead. His status, his obedience, his righteousness. He said, Father, it's theirs. All their debts, those are mine. And brothers and sisters, it is shocking that the great Apostle Paul would do this for the likes of Anisimus until we realize how much more absurd that the Son of God himself would do it for me and do it for you. That is what's truly divine and supernatural. That is the gospel. Christ signed his name on our debts and said, I'll take care of it. And make sure you greet them as you would greet me. 
And we heard about that a few weeks ago in Luke chapter 15. There we read the parables of the lost sheep and the lost coin and the lost son. And there we read that repentant, reclaimed sinners like us. We read about how we're received in heaven. Do you remember how we're received? I was talking this past week with a pastor friend. And he was talking about how he had been studying for a sermon and this is what had really struck him. Because you would think if God was anything like us at all, how we would be received back into heaven is with a little bit of resentment, a little bit of bitterness. It costs so much to save us. Christ had to die for us. But what does Luke 15 and the Bible elsewhere, what does it say? How are we received? With shouts of joy in heaven. No resentment. No bitterness. Overwhelming joy. God sings over our redemption. Isn't that incredible? And already now we can go to the Father in worship and in prayer and we can go with confidence. Knowing that because of what Christ has done, he had ensured that we would be received. We would be received well and with joy. Not as our sin deserves, but as his perfect obedience deserves. And that brings us to the end of the book of Philemon. The final greeting. And if you're curious about how this story ends, uh, I'm happy to tell you that though we don't know for absolutely certain, uh, all the commentators seem to agree. Uh, the fact that this letter was preserved instead of hidden somewhere, ripped up, thrown out. Uh, the fact that it was preserved and it was copied and copied and it was sent far and wide and received as scripture, it all confirms that this letter was sent around to the churches so the hearts of the saints might be refreshed. Because Philemon gave Onesimus the royal treatment he never deserved. We can safely assume Philemon put down the letter, he walked into the next room, and he wrapped his arms around Onesimus, and he said, Welcome home, brother. Amen. Let's sing together in response, Before the throne of God above.
Let's come before our heavenly God and Father in prayer. And in our prayer, we'll remember, uh, first of all, Peter and Mary Van Woodenberg. Uh, our sister Mary uh, had a heart attack this past week, and then she was treated for a stroke in the hospital as well. Uh, she's uh, conscious and in good spirits, uh, but she remains in the hospital waiting uh, test results. I would also uh, like to pray today, of course, for some good news, a celebration today. Uh, our sister Grace Eichema, she celebrates her 80th birthday today. And then we'll also pray for one more matter. Our uh, sister churches in Korea, uh, they ask for prayer because they have a general assembly, a general synod meeting coming up this week. And so they prayed uh, for wisdom and for their delegates. Let's pray together. Awesome Heavenly Father, thank you for your nature. Thank you that you are a God of holiness and justice, a God who simply doesn't simply uh, cancel debts, but rather that you're also a God of compassion who pays the debts himself. Lord, we're so thankful for Jesus Christ, that he took our record of debt upon himself, and that he gave us his perfect, spotless righteousness. Lord, we're amazed with your love for weak and sinful people like us, that you would reconcile us to yourselves. Lord, we pray that you will more and more point us and keep our eyes fixed upon Jesus and teach us so that we might become peaceful, reconciling people too. Lord, please give us grace so that we can understand uh, your forgiveness for us and help us as we try and live out the gospel and forgive others as well. Lord, please grant us by your Spirit eyes uh, to see, like Paul had, uh, opportunities to live out the gospel and make your name great. Lord, thank you that you've uh, blessed us individually and blessed us as a church family as well. We ask that you continue to watch over us and uh, pour out a deep love and care and concern uh, for us, on us, and also fill us with that love so that it overflows to those around us. Fill us with a deep love and care and concern for one another so that we can be refreshed when we see the gospel lived out and poured out in the lives of one another as well. Lord, we're so thankful for this church that you've blessed us with, and we're uh, thankful for opportunities to celebrate. Uh, we're thankful for the church picnic yesterday, that we could have a time of fun and fellowship with one another. Uh, Lord, we're also thankful for Grace Eichema, who is celebrating her 80th birthday today. Uh, Lord, we pray that it will be a good and enjoyable day for her and a good and enjoyable year ahead, that she would be able to celebrate your goodness and faithfulness in her life. Lord, thank you that we can celebrate your good, goodness and faithfulness on, on fun days and uh, exciting days, but also that we can rely on your goodness and faithfulness and grace and, on challenging days and difficult situations. Lord, we pray today for Peter and Mary Van Woodenberg and for their whole family as well. We ask that you'll grant Mary a full and speedy recovery and allow her to return home soon, and may the doctors be able to uh, get some clarity on her condition through the tests. Uh, during this time of waiting for test results, we pray that you will keep their, or help their spirits to be still and help them to know that you are God and help them to be able to run to the God of all comfort for refuge in their time of need. We run to you for help, of course, Lord, each day again. We run to you as individuals, but Lord, we also run to you for help as a church, uh, as a, a local church, as a national church, as an international church as well. And Lord, our sister churches in Korea have asked for prayer as they seek to serve you this week as they join together in a, a general assembly. We ask that you will protect their delegates and bring them to this meeting safely 
And we ask that once you're there, there, that you'll uh, fill them up with your wisdom and with your spirit so they might make decisions uh, that honor and glorify you. Lord, we're so thankful for unity in our local congregation, but we're thankful also for unity in the faith and in the spirit and in the bond of peace with churches all around the world. We know that you have all of these churches in your hands and before your eyes. We're so thankful that you care for them just as closely and personally as you care for us. Lord, please also fill us with a similar kind of love, not just for ourselves. We tend to love ourselves quite enough, but a love that overflows to all those around us. We pray these things not because we're worthy, but because we're needy. And in Jesus' name alone, amen. At this point in our service, we have an opportunity uh, to give our gifts to the Lord who's given so generously to us. And the collection is never for the operating budget of the church, but always for uh, those in need and for good causes. Uh, For this week, it's for uh, MRF, Middle East Reformed Fellowship, uh, to support the work spreading the gospel and serving and equipping churches in the Middle East. And afterwards, we'll sing together uh, hymn 63. I'm hoping we can sing uh, verses 1 and 6, if they're able to pull that up. Yeah? Awesome.
to the Lord and go home in peace. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. Amen.